0: in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter number 46. Now, that may not make a whole lot of sense to you. Why are we looking at Isaiah if we're talking about Ecclesiastes? But It'll make sense in a little bit. Now, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, it was made famous by a rock band called the Birds. Because of them... Most everyone knows Ecclesiastes chapter 3, even if they don't realize it. So, sound booth, we're going to play a clip from that song now. All right, now who recognizes that song? All right, every if you've seen Forrest Gump, you've heard that song. That's a song that never really goes away, and it's it's just always kind of in our consciousness. And so they they and that that song is Ecclesiastes chapter three. That that's a scripture song so we're going to be singing that in praise team next week now <laughs> but this is it's a it's a song that is is they use scripture to 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 sing that song and so everyone kind of knows that song and now you're going to be singing that song for the rest of the day or the rest of the week it's going to be stuck in your head and uh, you're welcome for that so they made ecclesiastes a very famous passage of scripture but because of them A lot of people don't really understand what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is really trying to teach. You have to view all of Scripture through the correct lens. If you're viewing Scripture through a wrong lens, then you interpret Scripture wrongly and it skews the truth. So, before we can look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 we got to make sure we're viewing it through the correct lens. And to get that lens, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 46. And in Isaiah chapter 46, God introduces himself in a way that is very powerful, but in a way that is very relevant to Ecclesiastes 3. So in Isaiah chapter 46, start reading in verse number 8. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring again to, bring again to mind. Or I'm sorry. Uh, bring again to mind, ye, oh, ye, transgressors. I'm not having a good night right now. Pray for me. I'm not feeling good. I'm starting to get a headache. So, all right, start over. Ecclesiastes chapter, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Isaiah. Let's pray. Have I prayed yet? That's the issue. Let's pray. And then we'll read Isaiah chapter 46. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for this time we have together. God, we do need to hear from you tonight. And, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to each one of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would have complete and total freedom tonight, Lord, to move through each and every chair, to touch each and every heart. Lord, to do a work in each and every life here tonight. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Help me, Lord, to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And, Lord, help me not to say what I should not say, but help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 46, start at verse number 8. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure." Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. See, God, right in Isaiah chapter 46, there, he is separating himself from anything else in creation in this introduction. He's saying, I and I alone sit on top of eternity. I see the beginning and the end because I was there in the beginning and I'll be there in the end. I see all of eternity all at once. I see the past, the present, and the future all together, and I see how it all connects and how it all works together and what things that happen today, how they're going to affect what's going to happen 300 years from now. I understand everything and I see everything. Everything is under my gaze. I know how it started. I know how it's going to end. I decide what happens he said, I set things in motion. I sit on top of eternity, and I see everything all at once. See, that's a very different viewpoint than what we have. So I'm 40 years old. I love history. I love history. What... <laughs> I love history. One of my my most favorite subjects in high school was history. Actually, I was going to be a high school history teacher. Uh, that was my goal when I graduated high school. I, I had a, a scholarship to go to a college up in south of Philadelphia called Beaver College. And I was going to go there because they had a huge education department and also 85% women. And uh, But a huge education department. And uh, they, I had an opportunity once I was there my senior year to go uh, teach in either Ireland or Australia. Teach in some inner city. So it was a great way to become a teacher. And I was really excited about it. And then I fell in love and decided to say, hey, you're get married. Uh, but anyway, I, so I love history. I love reading history books. I love reading about historical figures. And I just love reading about the things of I love the History Channel. So I have a view of the past, but only what I've read. I wasn't there. I didn't really experience it. I have a view of my 40 years of existence, but it's a very limited view. So I have a limited view of what's happened in my life. I have a limited view of what's happened in history before I was born. I, I have a little bit of a view of the, of the future. Now, I'm not saying I can predict a future. But I could tell you roughly what I expect to happen in my life in the next couple months. I can tell you what I plan to do tomorrow. I plan to get up and come here and meet the roofer at, at 8 o'clock so I can fuss at him and make sure he gets that leak fixed this time. I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to go home and try to figure out why my, my kitchen sink drain's not draining right, and I'm going to figure out why my bathroom sink's not running right, and I'm going to, have to do a lot of plumbing work, and I, I may lose some Christianity tomorrow because I hate plumbing work, but I can tell you what my plans are for the week, the meetings I have. I can tell you what I plan on doing next week during Thanksgiving week and when we're going to get our Christmas tree, and I can tell you what I hope to happen the, the Friday after Thanksgiving, UVA beat Tech, Woohoo! Uh, these are things I hope to happen but I can't tell you exactly what is going to happen. I can't tell you for sure, well, we're going to go get our Christmas tree, and this is a tree we're going to have, and it's going to take us this long to cut it down. But I can tell you, well, we usually go get a Christmas tree this day. We usually decorate this day. Here's what we're usually going to do for our holidays. And so I have a very limited view about what's going to happen just really in the next couple weeks. But God sees everything. God knows, God knows the Christmas tree I'm going to pick out already. He knows which one I'm going to get. He knows where it's sitting. He knows where I'm going to, when I'm going to cut it down. He knows the decorations I'm going to put on it and where I'm going to put the decorations. He knows me and April are going to fuss and fight because she's going to want it to be classy and I'm going to want it to be trashy because I like tacky Christmas. And he, he knows all these things. My view is limited, but God is not. See, God is eternal. He always has been. He always will be. We live moment by moment, so we see moment by moment, but God sees all the moments of everyone throughout all the time at the same time. Then God says in Isaiah chapter 46, he goes, birds eat because I tell them to, you know, I can't get my kids to eat what we make for dinner. We got to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for them because they won't eat the spaghetti I made. And the spaghetti I made is awesome. Although it had beef and sausage, so you couldn't have it, but it was still really, really good. But I can't make them eat it. So I got to make peanut butter and jelly for them. And God says, the birds eat when I tell them to. They eat what I tell them to. The animals eat when and what I tell them to. God says, I control everything. God says we move from place to place because he said so. No, preacher, my job bought me here. No, it didn't. God did. Now, he may have used your job to get you here, but you're here because God wanted you here. God controls everything. God sits on top of everything that ever has been, that ever will be. He is never surprised. He is never shocked. He is never afraid. God sees everything. He knows everything. He controls everything. We serve a colossal God. And one of the greatest truths of the Bible is this colossal God who sees everything, sees all that ever has been, all that ever will be, knows everything, knows where the birds are and when they're going to eat and when they're going to die. This incredible, colossal God that keeps the universe together has an intimate knowledge of you. See, God only commands it all, not only is knowledge about all of eternity, but he is intimately aware of you and your place in it. Turn over to Psalms chapter 139. Turn to the left, past Ecclesiastes, which we'll be at in a minute, so I might want to mark your spot there. But Psalms chapter 139. Starting verse number 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That doesn't mean God was scared when he made you. Doesn't mean God made you, whoa, messed up on that one. That's not what it means. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, uh, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance are fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So what God is saying here is the hands of God, the creator of everything, who sees everything and knows everything and sees the beginning and sees the end and knows how everything connects together. The God who sees it all and knows it all, he intimately wove you. Now, not us, you together. You are made the way you are because God wanted to make you that way. He intimately made you The way that you are. He did so with all the knowledge of all the days that were to come for you. See, God knows everything that has ever happened to you and that will ever happen to you. God forms your body exactly as He wanted it to be. Now, some of us have added to His creation, we've made it a little bit bigger, that's okay. But God has made your body exactly as he wanted to. God gave you the personality you have. God gave you the voice that you have. God gave you the talents that you have. Everything about you was formed by God. Even the things you think aren't that great, God does. See, I have what's known as a voice that carries It's impossible for me to be quiet, no matter what. I mean, I'm whispering. I'm like, hey, April, come here. You know, I just, I can't be quiet. And April's always fussing at me about it. She's always telling me, you know, she's like, stop yelling. I'm like, I'm not yelling. Psalm 139, God gave me this voice. It's a talent God gave me. I'm not yelling. I'm just talking purposefully. And so when she tells me I'm yelling, I will yell to show her what yelling is. I'm not yelling. I'm not going to do it. But I'll show her what yelling is. So, you know, people can criticize me about it, but Psalms 139 says it's exactly how God wanted me to be. God, when he made me, he turned the volume up. And that's fine. That's exactly how God made me. God intricately wired me in my mother's womb, putting my form together. He sees my days. He knows the calling he has on my life. He knows the salvation he extends to me. He knows where he is going to take me. He knows where he's going to move me. I'm not just some random accident or some genetic collision. I am purposefully, intricately designed by a colossal God for his honor and his purposes. Now, there's a powerful truth in here that teaches us uh, some powerful truth that has nothing to do with the message, but we need to understand them. Because God has intimately made you who you are supposed to be, stop trying to be someone else. God made you who you are. God didn't make you like them, He made them like them, He made you like you. So stop looking at yourself and looking at someone else and saying, I wish I had their something, I wish I had their talent. I wish I was as tall as them. I wish I could sing like them. I wish I had a voice that carries like the pastor. Well, you can't all be blessed, amen. (laughs) But stop looking at other people and saying, I wish I had that. Because God didn't give it to you. And here's the truth. However you are, to God, you are perfect and beautiful. No matter what anybody else says to you. To our heavenly father, he says, I made you exactly the way I want you. You are perfect and you are beautiful to him. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. God says you're incredible. So stop trying to be someone else. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am who I am. You know what he's saying? He's saying, this is who God made me to be. Maybe I should stop trying to be that person because that's who he made them to be. He made me to be. This person. So what that tells? When God made you, He didn't mess up. He wasn't forming you in sneeze and then look at the angel go, oh, well, good luck on that one. He's gonna have a rough time, but oh well, what can I do about it? God didn't mess up. God didn't make a mistake. You know, you know, some of our, you know, we have Kit Alexis is our surprise. I didn't expect her, but God did. So you know, people say, oh man, I was an accident. No, you weren't. Your parents may have said, oh, no, but God said, yep. I planned that one. You thought you could slip. Nope, I got it. God knew exactly what was going to happen. So you have to be okay with God how he made you and realize he did an incredible job. We are intimately and intricately woven together with all of our days known to God beforehand. But it gets even better than that. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. This is all introduction, by the way. That should be encouraging to you. Acts chapter 17. (coughs) Starting in verse number 24. God, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshiped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So what the Bible's telling us here is that God knows and gave life and gave breath to all of creation without our help. God doesn't need you. God wants you. But God doesn't need you. God doesn't, he, he wants us, but he doesn't need us. He created all of humanity, the Bible says he created all of humanity from one man, Adam. Now you start talking about that and people, you know, you talk to usually non-believers or younger Christians about that. And you're like, you know, all of humanity came from one man, one family, Adam and Eve. They, they were the, the beginning of everybody. And they look at it and say, well, how'd you get all these different races and different colors and different languages? Well, that's easy, Tower of Babel. After the flood, Tower of Babel, they gather in the valley. And man, they're worried God's going to flood the earth again. So like, you know what? We ought to build a tower to heaven. So if he tries it again, we can just, you know, get up there with him. And so they're starting to build this tower. And God looks at him and says, that's not going to work. You're too prideful. You're too arrogant. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to confound your languages. And poof, in one instant, God created, God changed everybody. We had all the races, all the colors, and all the languages. And you tell people that, and they always go, oh, especially in America. That's where they came from. No, that's where you came from. Man didn't start out white. Hate to tell you that. Jesus wasn't a white guy. Jesus was a dark-skinned fella. Jesus was the guy that you would be nervous with flying on over an overseas flight. He's going to get extra screening through the airport. But that's where all the races and all the, 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 uh, the languages came from. So he looked at And, and so at, continue in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. So God says right there, he goes, I, I created everything, I didn't need you. I created all of humanity through one man. I created all, everything that's got breath with my, I don't need you, look at verse 26. He says, it hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. It hath determined the times before appointed and the bonds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel, at, might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us, for in him... In him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets having said, for we are also his offspring. So here's what I want you to get in your head before we even start looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You have this God who sits on top of eternity. He sees everything all at once. He sees all of eternity at once. He doesn't make decisions without knowing the outcome. He never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. And if he ever asks a question, it's not because he's confused. It's because he's trying to teach us a lesson. So God, over all of eternity, designed and intimately weaves you and allots the time that you live in. You know, sometimes me and April will be talking or we watching a TV show. She likes Little House on the Prairie. And so she'll watch Little House on the Prairie and she'll think, I would love to live back in those days. Not me. Where someone could just shoot you and throw your body in the field and they'd never find you. Where, you know, just if you want bread, you got to grow the wheat and harvest the wheat and process the wheat and grind it in a flat and then bake. No, no, no. If I want bread, I'm going to go to the store. And he gets ready. I want to take a shower in the wintertime and I have to wait till spring. I'm, I love that time I live in. And here's the thing God placed me in this time period on purpose. God, when he was creating all of eternity, billions and billions of years ago, I'm not saying the world's billions and billions of years old, but eternity past, when God was planning it all out, he said, Sean Minnesota is going to be born in 1978. He knew when I was, he allotted the time and the place that I would be born. That means you weren't a mistake. God wanted you to be born when you were born. You are living in the allotted time for your life and you are living in the allotted place God wants you to be. If you're not living where God has placed you, you'll miss what God has for you because you're always looking for where you want to be as opposed to where God has placed you to be. And that's the God of the Bible. God has you, who you are, where you are, when you are for his purpose. You exist today exactly the way you're supposed to for God's eternal plan. God had a purpose for it. So we can add a bunch more to it. You know, Jesus says, the birds don't die without God knowing it. God stands above and beyond and within all of eternity, and his vision and his power is not limited in any way. And he knows you intimately, and he knows your makeup and how you're wired, and he knows how you're going to handle situations, and he knows what you can tolerate and what you're designed to do. And that's the lens we want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 through. So now we can turn there. So go to Ecclesiastes chapter number three. And I will read it and try not to sing it. To every... (coughs) Now, Ecclesiastes chapter three, starting verse number one. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Now, if you, if you circle or underline your Bible, you need to underline those two words right there, season and purpose. We get, see, our life has seasons we go through. We have seasons of joy, seasons of pain, seasons of sorrow, seasons of grief. We have all these seasons we go through, but it's a season, which means seasons end. We, we understand that, right? We're about to start winter. I hate winter. I despise winter. But it's going to end. About January, I'll be like, I hate winter. Uh, Christmas is over. There's no point in being cold anymore. Snow is coming, and I hate snow because you got to shovel it and all that. Ugh. but you know what? May's coming. The flowers start to spring up, and then I start, man, I can't wait to go to the beach. And then it's going to get super hot. And you know, I'm going to complain about the heat. But you know, seasons end. Summer's going to come, but summer's going to end. So seasons come in your life, and there's a per. But there's not just a season of them. They have a purpose. So everything we go through has a purpose. So again, verse 2. Let's look at the seasons he says here. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Now, historically, when this list is read or sung or mentioned, it's viewed ...as things that occur in our life, things that will happen in our life. What it really is, it's a list of things that God sends to us. And that's hard for us. This is a list of ingredients that God mixes together... ...to serve His purpose in your life, in your allotted time, and in your allotted place. Now, we'd rather this list be a buffet... We'd rather be able to pick and choose what we would, would what we want. You know, I'll, I'll take some laughter. I'll take some dancing. Not, not too much. We're Baptists, so just a little bit of dancing. Not too much. Uh, I'll take some birth. I'll take some building. I'll take some healing, some embracing, and just a little bit of killing. But we like to pick and choose what we're going to have. But I don't get to choose the ingredients. Because look at the list again. If we had to choose a time to be born or a time to die, we're all going to pick born amen uh, a time to plant a time to pick up that was planted yeah, uh, a time to kill and a time to heal we'd rather have healing time to break down a time to build up we'd, we'd rather build up time to weep and a time to laugh we'd, we'd rather laugh time to mourn, we'd rather dance so as we look at this list we say well if i have to choose i'll choose the good stuff if i have to choose i'm going to choose t- gathering together not casting away if I have to choose, I'm going to choose fixing things, not destroying things. But God says it's not a list you can choose from. You don't get to pick and choose which is going to come. They're all going to come. There's a season for all these things in our lives. And if we, we chose, we would pick the good things. I w- we wouldn't take anything that stings, anything that hurts, anything that bothers us, anything that stretches us, but God loves us too much to let that happen. People who don't hurt, people who don't mourn, people who don't get stretched turned out to be self-centered, spoiled, rotten, vicious people. And God loves us too much to let us turn out like that. So he sends pain. Yeah, he sends laughter, but he also sends weeping. Yeah, he sends gathering together, but he also sends casting away. Yeah, he sends birth, but he He also sends death our way. He alone sees all of eternity, and he decides what we get and when we get it. He sees the beginning from the end, and he knows what we need when we need it. So Solomon tells us in verse 1 that there's a season for everything we go through, but there's also a purpose for it. He says there's a purpose for the joy. There's a purpose for the sorrow. There's a purpose for the mourning. There's a purpose for the laughter. As a matter of fact, he tells us later on in this verse, there are three reasons God sends these things to us. We're going to look at him tonight. So what's the first purpose? First thing that God wants us to understand is, number one, God makes everything beautiful. Look at verse number nine. What profit hath he that worketh in, in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men, To be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. It's God's plan with God's vision, with his ability to see how everything's going to work out, that he gives us the sorrow and the joy and the mourning because he knows he's going to make it beautiful in its time. See, every step we take, every sorrow... Every tear, every hurt, every joy, all of it goes into a big bowl that God's mixing together that will be beautiful in the end. You know, none of us, how many of y'all like just eating raw flour? Yeah. How many of y'all like cake? We like cake. We like, how many of y'all like drinking buttermilk? Y'all are weird. I was going to say that. How many of y'all like biscuits? Man, some good old fresh man. Yeah, we don't like the individual ingredients, but we like the result. And that's what God's saying. God's saying, look, you don't understand, but I'm putting these ingredients in your life for a purpose. You know, And you're in a season now where you're, you're going through some joy. And, man, you love the joy, and you, you love the, the laughter, and you love the good times. But, you know, what? you're going to go through a season where there's pain, and there's mourning, and there's hurt. And you don't like it, but the purpose of it is going to be beautiful. The purpose of it is something that we can't even comprehend. In the last year... At our church, we've had two babies added to the church nursery, and we're going to have one more soon. And, man, having a baby and the the birthing process, man, it's an exciting process. It begins with joy when you get that first positive test, usually. Sometimes it's a uh uh-oh. But, again, God, it wasn't uh uh-oh to God. It was a woo to God. But you, you get that for and you're, you become excited about it and man you're just oh you're starting to tell everybody and they have all these they have all these these neat ways now to announce that you're having a baby on Facebook and Instagram and all these things it becomes exciting but pretty soon that leads to nausea and morning sickness and then back aches and feet swelling and mood swings and feet cramps and leg cramps and all those things that aren't real beautiful in the process but they lead to the birthing process. And the birthing process is not a fun process either. I mean there's pain, there's yelling, there's bleeding, there's cussing. And then the mom, she has some pain too. She's got to think, she's got to deal with. But the end result is incredibly beautiful. Cuz you get to hold this precious newborn baby. And there's nothing more beautiful than a newborn baby. And look, I'll be honest with you, newborn babies are ugly, but they're beautiful. They're wrinkly and red and squishy and gooey and bleh, but there's just something so beautiful about it. When you get to snuggle it and, 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 and just love on that beautiful baby. So going through the process, there are some pretty bad spots, but the end result is beautiful. That's what God says our life is like. Going through life, there's some pretty, there's some highs, there's some lows, there's some, some, some hurt, there's some pain, there's some bleeding, there's some, maybe some cussing. But the end result is beautiful in God's time. It turns out beautiful, and it wouldn't be as beautiful if it wasn't fought for. When we view things from the human side of life, we don't have the ability to comprehend how beautiful things will be. We look at the pain. We look at the hurt, and we think, how can this be beautiful? And God says, I- I'm seeing it from this side of eternity. I see how it's going to work out. I see how the end is going to be. I know what's going to happen. I do it, and I know it, and I can see it. See, we can't see it, so we need to trust him. He's not the thief that's coming to steal and to kill and destroy. He's the God who came to give us life and give it more abundantly. He came to bring life. We need to trust him because he's making everything beautiful in his time. And that's the key. It's his time. It's not our time. See, we're impatient. We're like, God, make it beautiful now. And God says, I'll make it beautiful in my time. And here's the thing. You may never see how it turns out beautiful in your lifetime. But someone else could. You have no idea how the pain you're going through can change someone else's life. And they can look back and say, I got saved because so-and-so went through this. I got my life right with God because so-and-so hurt. You don't know, but it turns out beautiful in God's time. Why? Because he sees everything. He knows everything. And he's giving you everything. Everything he's giving you, because he loves you. So it's gonna. God makes all things beautiful. Second thing we need to learn is it is all working for eternity. Look again at verse number eleven. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart. the word The word "world" there is the Hebrew word "olam," and it means eternity. God has placed in each of our hearts. The realization of eternity, the understanding that this isn't all there is, that when our life ends here, it's just the beginning of eternity. So these these things, the joys and the sorrows, they make us realize that we are part of something bigger that we can't even fathom, because in the end, you can't control joy. You can't control sorrow. You, can, you can't fabricate it. It's, it's like the sea. The sea is incredibly powerful, and you can build whatever defenses you want, but you, we still haven't figured out how to harness the power of the sea. Eternity has been placed in our hearts, and joy, and sorrow, and mourning, and laughter. They stir it and make it vibrate to remind us that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. It's an internal compass that helps us find true north, and it it was put in our hearts by God to point us to God. So you're in a season of joy right now. Great, it should teach you you're part of something bigger, and it should point you to God. You're in a season of pain right now. Sorry, but it should put in your heart the realization you're part of something bigger, and it's pointing you to God. Everything that happens in your life is not limited to just your life. It's part of God's eternal plan. So you see, God makes everything beautiful. It's all working for eternity. Third thing we need to learn through these scriptures is he doesn't explain why he does anything. This one hurts. Don't you want the explanation? Don't you? It would be easy if God came to us and said, I'm about to hurt you, but here's why. Here's what I'm doing. Here's how it's going to turn out beautiful, and when it's going to turn out beautiful, and what it's going to look like. And if we knew that, we could be like, "Okay, I understand that. I can handle that." But God doesn't explain things to us. Look again at verse number eleven. He had made all things beautiful in His time. He also has set in the world in their hearts, so that no man so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. See, younger kids are are very curious, and they always like to ask, why? Why did you do that? Why did we go there? Why is the sky blue? Why do dogs have fur? Why do cats have claws? Why do birds fly? And usually when you answer one of their why questions, it just leads to another why. Why are we doing this? Well, here's why. Well, why? Because. Well, why? And it's just constantly, why, why, why? But they're learning, and they're learning by asking questions to learn now. Thankfully, me and April, we are out of that why stage, or we're at the point now where they can say, why are we doing this? Because I'm dad and I said so. That shuts down a lot of questions right there. Why are we doing this? Because I wanted to. Okay. Well, dad does what dad wants to do. Yes, dad does. It's good to be the king sometimes. So our kids are out of that stage, uh, but as Christians, most of us haven't grown out of the why stage with God. We want to know why things are happening. God, why are you hurting me? God, why are you allowing that to happen to that person? God, how come they're having a better day than I am? How come they got that loan and I didn't? How come he got that raise and I didn't? And we're constantly asking God why. And so we want to fit these situations into our nice little system so it makes sense to us. And God's just laughing at us, going, I'm not going to tell you why. Because here's the thing, even if God told us why, we wouldn't understand it. We wouldn't comprehend it. Why? Because what he's doing to you may affect someone hundreds of years later. He's saying you're never going to know it all because mystery is a prerequisite of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So mystery will always be there. You will never understand why God allows situations, why God allows pains or joys in your life. You will never have The why answered. And faith is trusting God without having to know why. Believing that it's all working together for good, even we can't see it. So what do we do with all this? You've got this eternal, huge God that sits on eternity, and he sees the past, the present, the future. He knows it all, and he has this set of ingredients that he puts that he has up there, and he's mixing it together specifically for you, for your life, to put in you in your allotted time and your allotted place for his name, for his glory, and for your joy in him. So what do we do with the hurt? What do we do with the pain, with the loss? The text is going to tell us. Look at verse number 12. I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice... And to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it or anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. Now, this isn't a bad fear, this is a good fear. This is the kind of fear that brings life. Say, what am I talking about? We teach our kids to fear the street. Now, they're not sitting in bed at night, worried about the street coming in and mugging them. But they know if they run into the street, they can get splattered. So there's a fear of the street, a respect of the street, a reverence of the street. And that's the fear that God's put in our lives. And so fear tells us to be careful. Fear keeps us safe. And that's the kind of fear that God's talking about here. Now look at verse 15. That which hath been is now... And that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. God is intimately involved in your design and where he put you and when he placed you. And through Solomon Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he is saying, Listen, I've got control of this. You can let it go because I'm taking care of it. That's why Solomon says... In verse 13, also every man should eat and drink and enjoy a little good. He's saying, all you have to do is walk with God and enjoy your life. Whatever stage you're in, if there's pain, we can enjoy it because we know God's doing it for our good, for somehow. If there's mourning, we can know God's putting that ingredient in our life, in our time, for his purposes. And we can say, God, I don't may not understand it, but Lord, I, I trust it. And I can enjoy it whatever season of life I am in. He's saying, I've got it. You can let it go. Enjoy the fact that everything that's happening right now has gone through my hands. Enjoy the fact that even what is tearful and hard is part of my love for you. God's telling us through Ecclesiastes 3, let it go because you can't change it anyway. So let it go. And trust God. And that's Solomon's question. If you look back in the text, that's why he starts asking at the end. We are to trust God and enjoy whatever season of life we're in. We can't understand it because our vision is limited. But let go and trust in him. He's saying, I've got it. I know it stings. I know it hurts. But I've got it. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm not punishing you. I'm shaping you. So keep praying. Keep coming to me. But I've got it. Trust in me. That's the message of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time and there's a season for everything. And those times and seasons are set not by the winds of change, but by God. So what season are you in tonight? And are you trusting him in it? pray. Heavenly Father,